Hello and welcome to Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, telling stories from the LAFC community match by match, fan by fan, story by story. For episode 104, we are going to preview our upcoming Derby versus Carson Galaxy. Our opponent correspondent today is going to be Josh Guessman from Corner of the Galaxy. But more importantly today, folks, we have an absolutely massive guest on the show. It is said that today's guest has viewed over 4 million times today. In his close to 100 different film credits and television, most notably being behind the camera for nearly 2,500 episodes of Entertainment Tonight. He has anchored SportsCenter, called NFL Games, and featured in a multitude of NBA outlets. He has also starred in hit film and TV series such as Girls Trip, The Insider, The Talk, Game Changers, Rat Race, CBS This Morning, and oh, by the way, just the last 10 years of Macy's Thanksgiving Day parades. In addition to his work with E.T., he is the current star of the Drew Barrymore Shore and founder of HipHollywood.com. Please welcome four-time Emmy Award winner and LAFC fan, Kevin Frazier. What is going on, guys? Thanks for having me on. This is uh, great. Thank, thank you. Anytime we can talk about the squad, the club, and what's going on, I love it. I mean, it's you know, it's in my blood, so I appreciate you having me on. It's a pleasure. It's a privilege to have you on, so thank you for joining us. And I think as we count down, this is an exciting time for this team because, look, we lived like royalty for a minute, and now we're living a little on Skid Row. We're right on the edge of the playoffs, but we're trying to kind of hold on to things. And that's, that's um, it's hard to take when you feel like royalty and then everything changes. That's tough. Well, you know what? This is going to separate the true fans from the Fairweather fans. And I think that this is just going to make our club very, very strong. When we come at the end of this and we see who's still been standing behind the black and gold and having faith in our club, yeah. that they, the ship is going to be righted eventually. I think it will be fixed no matter what, because this is a ownership group that is really working hard. They're dedicated to excellence. And so I think that's an important thing. Like there are ownership groups where like, we're dedicated to having a team on the field. These guys are dedicated to excellence. And I think that's always going to make a difference in who's on the field, what we have and what options we have. Right now, the options are a little low, but I do believe that um, the Calvary is on the way. With that, hoping to get Vela back for this upcoming match, potentially Raito as well, too. But before we get into our talk of this upcoming game versus Carson, we have a loss versus Portland. They swept us on the year. Three 2-1 losses to Portland. This again at the bank. Our second loss to them at home this season. Both 2-1 scores. So why don't we go ahead and start with a starting lineup that was a bit controversial. It, it was it was different, for sure. We have uh, debuts for Mitchie Galena and Jamal Blackman, who both got the start today at opposite ends of the pitch. We had a formation that no news outlet could seem to predict, although it looked like it was a 4-3-3 by the time the team got out there. What did you all think of an experimental lineup from Bob in a big game? I think it was a little bit expected. Some of the players that had been hurt, so we knew that the some of the players that we that had been injured were may not be back for this match. So we were expecting a little bit of a handicapped lineup. But to see Jamal Blackman make his debut and Mitchie Galina to come in, that was a little bit, not necessarily for Blackman. It, it, some people had talked about how these midweek matches might have been a good opportunity for the goalkeeper to make his debut. But Michi Galina to get the start, I thought was good, you know, to, to give him that opportunity, that exposure. And I thought that for the 
first half of the match when he was in, he was a player that was trying to earn it and to be out there. And he had a lot of passion and pace with his movements. And uh, I think that for the short amount of time that he has been here for him to be able to get a, a starting look like that uh, was uh, impressive. I thought that we came out on the front foot, no matter who comes onto the team, I feel like we have good maybe 20 to 30 minutes where we control, but don't capitalize. And then there's always moments of lack of focus and the other teams taking advantage. And that, it pays me to, to say that we haven't learned from almost the same kind of lessons, at least defensively. Offensively, I think the talent's there. We just don't have the finishing. And what's unfortunate to me is that with Chicho coming, he's a great finisher, but he's become kind of a playmaker and setting up other players and they can't finish the plays, unfortunately. So first half, I thought we came out well. And we could talk about the second half after I think I want to pass this off to Kevin, get his thoughts on that first half. You know, I just thought that once upon a time, this team had so much connectivity and, and finishing. And, you know, I thought that was an important thing you mentioned about finishing because Look, we knew we were going to give up a goal or two. Our defense would make mistakes. We just knew we would outscore everybody. And we can no longer outscore everybody. And that has been devastating. But at some point, there has to be a connective tissue all the way through this team. And there's not anymore. At one point, it just felt like you could see it. You sensed the buildup. You knew something was coming. And we had a finisher there in Bela. Right now, Lord knows what's happening when we get in the final third. You're like, whatever. And the quality isn't there right now. And that's all it is. And to have quality in the final third, you need somebody to service you. And we're not servicing the ball. I thought that, listen... I thought that when Bryce Duke and those guys came through and they started two games ago, I thought they played their behinds off. Against Kansas City, those guys were running around like wild men. And there was a creativity and a difference. And I sensed it went away. And, you know, it, we need a cohesiveness in this team that's not there right now. You know, something that you had just mentioned, too, is the cohesiveness. It, it's hard to get a fluid uh, momentum when there's all these different lineup changes and uh, that you yeah. experience. I understand too that we see some of these lineup changes because of the closeness in matches in between at the end of the season right now. But it's hard to build off of the chemistry uh, when every match it seems like there are different players in different roles. So you would just think that that's also a, a something that they have to try and work through. Yeah, 100%. I think that there is, you know, one day Latif's in the midfield, one day he's in the, he's a right back playing defense and the next day he's on the bench. I don't know. You never know when you walk up who's starting, who is going to be playing, you know, who's going to play a wing, who's going to play a forward. I don't think there's any, like, you know, there's no cohesion now because of that. Well, it was certainly an awkward game to take in. At no point in time did LAFC really have a solid flow of things. Our one attacking chance that yielded a goal really came out of a turnover in midfield and happened very quickly. Mm -hmm. There wasn't much in the way of a lot of buildup throughout the game, and we were constantly seeming to get caught on these counterattacks. And ultimately, once again, a very, very simple failure by a center back causes a one-on-one, -on -one and we can't seem to capitalize on our opportunities and the few opportunities we give away seem to be capitalized against us. And that seems to be the story of the season so far. So let's look at the situation and let's go ahead and wrap our heads around what LAFC needs to do throughout the remainder of the season. So many people so far and in the Twitter spheres, I know it gets dark out there, but many people have already declared this season over. So while that is potentially true, let's look at some possibilities here. LAFC currently sit in ninth place. We have seven games remaining. 
If we were to assume that the eighth place slot averages one point per game, it would take about 13 points to overtake them in the playoff. That means in our final seven games, we would need four wins and a tie or three wins and four ties. Now that's assuming one point per game for the eighth seat currently. Mm -hmm. However, eighth seat currently is currently sitting at about 1.4 points per game. So if we take that a little bit further, then LAFC is going to need a total of about 48 points if we were to overtake them, which means in our final seven games, we would need at least five wins and one tie if we are going to go ahead and make the final seat in the playoffs, assuming that eighth place continues at their points per game that they are at for the season. So assuming eighth place slips, then we're still looking at four wins and a tie needed. And if eighth place does what they've been doing all season, then we're looking at five wins and a tie needed in the final seven games just to make that final slot in the playoffs. So, gentlemen, it is doom and gloom time. Are LAFC going to make the playoffs? Why don't we go ahead and start with the most educated voice in the room tonight and Mr. Frazier? My heart is like, they're going to make it. They're going to pull it out. This team has some magic, you know? It, it'll be just like that night against Leon when we were, you know, we're down. We needed three goals to win against a team that we we're not supposed to score against. And um, I, I, one of my heart says, there's magic. My head says, it's over. Get ready for next year. And just enjoy the run here. Enjoy the games, enjoy the players, and get ready for next season. I don't believe in my head that they're going to make the playoffs because I don't know if we can win those games. Now, here's the thing. You get Carlos back. You figure out a way to get him the ball in advantageous positions and the other guys click, then maybe something changes. But as of now, my heart says, please make it. My head says, we won't. So I'm going to say this, right? I'm going to look at it from the perspective of who we're playing and based off of where those teams are at and where their form is at and evaluate it based on points that way. Our next match is against the Galaxy. They are in a free fall. They have not played very well. It's a derby. Anything can happen. And I'm going to say that we're going to finally get that victory at Dignity Health Sports Park. I'm keeping track. Jose, of these. You go through them. I'm keeping track. That's right. We're going to beat the Galaxy. That's right. San Jose is after that. They're they're at the bottom of the Western Conference. I'm going to say there's a win at home. FC Dallas is after that. They're also down in the Western Conference. I'm going to say that's a win. Minnesota's going to be close. That I say is going to be a tie. Okay. Seattle yeah. Sounders is going to be a match where you know we're going to have to take our loss. And then the last two games are Vancouver and Colorado. So Vancouver is going to be a win, and then it's going to come down to the decision day in Colorado, and I think we're going to do it. I think that we're going to come out, we're going to throw everything we got, and I think that we're going to pull out the victory in Colorado. That's what I'm expecting, and it's because this team knows that their back is up against the wall, which they've never had to feel like that before, and I think that they're going to show some true grit. I love that. But I just watched a game against San Jose that wasn't really inspired. It didn't inspire a lot of awe in me. That's what I'm trying to figure out is like where you're getting this, how we're going to turn it around in games that we've struggled. But go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I think that there is a home field advantage has to play. And while I agree, the match against San Jose last week was not great at all. I do think that, you know, having a match in Northern California versus being at the bank is going to be the difference maker in that match. It used to be impenetrable. You came into the bank to take an ass whooping that's not happening no more that's all i mean it used to be the place like when we went there 
it was rocking. We knew we were going to win. But all of a sudden, those days are over for now, for now. First of all, Jonathan, I'm impressed with the mathematics you put into this. That, that is not <laughs> your strong suit usually. The other thing I'll say is the running here is supercars, right? You're only factoring our variables and our matches. You have to think about all the other teams. They're playing each other as well. So each match for all the other teams, like four and below, there's six-point matches, right? And we have three of them that are uh, within three, four, five points from us. So a win against them, and they have a couple game skids. I think what we expect in terms of average points per game or throughout the year, that goes a little bit out the window. I feel and I, this is something I want to look into now is like, what's the trend for the last eight games in terms of what the expected points versus the rest of the season? Because I feel like the West, usually it is a decision day kind of situation every year that the five every through year. seven, uh, four through seven, there's all kinds of shakeups that's going on and someone finds out at the 90th minute, they didn't make it. So to me, honestly, I think it's a coin flip as of today. If you were telling me today, LAFC is in or out, I would bank on what, what a quarter says when it lands because it's really hard to say how well we're going to do, but it's also as unpredictable how the current four through seven are going to do. We're getting into that time of year in which teams that are already out of it are probably going to start playing some depth. So you know, expecting the top of the table to slide that much. Again, completely unpredictable and anything could happen. Three wins could get LAFC in with a number of ties if, if that happens. But five wins is really what it takes to have our destiny within our own hands. Now, Chris, I don't think any of those five games you circled on the calendar are games LAFC have zero chance of winning. I think those are all games in which LAFC could put it together. The fact that it could come down to LAFC versus Mark Anthony K on decision day and and he could play a role in keeping us out of the playoffs is can you imagine is a oh that's a dark cloud looming that that I don't even want to think of at this moment but you know either way tongue in cheek right I said that the day we traded him right we I said that on the episode I said could you imagine if but I I think I had said it reversed where I had said that LAFC kept Colorado out and it was LAFC versus Mark Anthony K but I'm just saying I had called a decision day issue with against Mark Anthony K. Either way, it is dire straits at the moment. And I think we are definitely into must win territory. We might not be statistically eliminated yet, but this upcoming game versus the Galaxy is massive, especially with the game versus Sounders still coming and knowing that we cannot afford more than one loss from now until the end of the season it is imperative that we go down to Carson and have an absolutely massive game upcoming. Let me just add one thing. When you are the pretty new thing on the block, when you are the glamour team, when you have this stadium, this great supporters group, you set a record for most points, everybody wants to take a chunk out of you. Everybody is getting a kick out of beating LAFC right now. It means something when people come out of that locker room and they say, we beat, you see how guys celebrate at the bank? You're like, Oh my God, look at them running around hugging each other like they just won the cup. They really get excited. People come at us because we kicked their behind for a second. Absolutely. LAFC put a target on their back with their performance in their inaugural season. Yep. And teams come up to play. Fan bases show up for the 32-52. Yeah. Stadiums fill to higher percentages than teams typically see when we show up. We bring star power in the stands and on the pitch and it always seems to be a bit of a circus yeah. and early on we were able to ride that energy to success 
And of late, the pressure seems to have been a bit too much. But at this point, I think we'd like to go ahead and take a break. And we'll be right back with our opponent correspondent, Josh Gessman from Corner of the Galaxy. You can follow them at Galaxy Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And of course, www.cornerofthegalaxy.com. And we'll be right back with our opponent correspondent segment after this. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Alexis Guerreros. I'm the fat guy on the Cooligans. You're listening to Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. Joining us this week is our opponent correspondent from Corner of the Galaxy Podcast. We have Josh Gessman joining us today. You can follow them at Galaxy Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And of course, on the interwebs at triple dubs, cornerofthegalaxy.com. Thank you very much, Mr. Josh Gessman. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Certainly appreciate it. Yeah, no, absolutely. We have been trying this new format, bringing on these opponent correspondents. When we came to the Galaxy match, we were like, man, is this is this going to go? Should we do it? Should we not? And we thought, you know, it's, it's a good idea. Let's, you know, uh, bring in the professional back and forth about this rivalry. And I think that it'll be a great way to just continue to build the rivalry and, and, and educate both sides about our club. Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, despite all the the noise that sometimes gets tossed back and forth about this game, I think it's tremendously important for Los Angeles. I think it's tremendously important for the league. As far as I'm concerned, it is the marquee matchup, kind of almost regardless of, of form right now. We'll see if that continues over the years. But even regardless of form so far, it has always been a marquee matchup. And I think it's one of those, the rising tide sort of lifts all boats, is important for the league, but certainly in Los Angeles. Eventually, this gets played in a bigger stadium. I've always been a proponent of that, by the way. I, I think... You know, eventually each team gets a home game. And if you're going to play a third, it goes to SoFi. And it's so big that they probably roll in grass for it. I mean, it's it, it has the potential to be that sort of life altering in Southern California. And I think you're starting to see that sort of come together. So so we'll see if that continues on. You know, what happened at the Rose Bowl just to bring this around full circle to where MLS started in the Southland. I think the Rose Bowl would be a perfect neutral site for that third game. I'm entirely with you on that. To get started, Josh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and the show that you're representing today for our listeners who might not be familiar? Yeah, certainly. I started the Corner of the Galaxy podcast with some some very smart, interesting people in 2009. We've been doing shows for a while. We're one of the few Galaxy podcasts that were out there, so we've been doing it continuously since 2009. I've switched co-hosts, switched a whole bunch of the things over the years and had a bunch of amazing people to do that. But I've been covering this team, you know, pretty consistently since 2009. We're cl- approaching show number 880 or so. So we do about 100 shows a year. And that includes, you know, two shows a week. Both of those shows are live on Mondays and Thursday night on YouTube. You can be found at cornerofthegalaxy.com. So we, uh, we do that. I've had a press pass and been covering the Galaxy from the press box since about 2012. I'm a member of the North American Soccer Reporters as well. So I've been doing it for a long time. It's something I enjoy immensely. I better because it's my fake job, as I call it. So it's a, it's a ton of fun. And I get to watch live soccer on a regular basis. And I don't know if there's anything better than that in the entire world. So uh, hopefully we do a good job. I uh, have some amazing co-hosts, LA Times soccer reporter, obviously Kevin Baxter is my co-host on Monday nights where we talk about the Galaxy. I have uh, Eric Vieira, Sophie Nicolau, Larry Morgan. So it's just some some great people who have come aboard and, and can help explain the, the, the ups and downs of the LA Galaxy uh, on a regular basis. So far this season, I think that both of our clubs have had these up and down, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. What is your perception so far of the season uh, as a Galaxy fan? I mean, I think if you're looking at Galaxy fans, you had to approach this season saying making the playoffs is a step forward. You look at 2020, it was statistically one of their worst seasons in history. If it would have been a longer season, it's my guess it would have been the worst statistical season outside of 2017. And so there's been some bad years. This year has already been a 
vast improvement over what we've seen probably certainly in 2020 sort of, I, I think the verdict's still out, whether it's better than 2018 and 2019. So if there has been progress over the last, you know, sort of three or four years, certainly over the last year, we'll see over the three or four years. But yeah, it's been hit and miss. Started with their hair on fire through the first 10 games and Chicharito scoring 10 goals in 10 games. Everything sort of revolved around him. And that was a good thing because as the star performer on your team, it should revolve around him. Galaxy scored goals, Galaxy won games. No problem. Gold Cup break, I think, broke them a little bit. It certainly looks like that. 8-4-0 and in the first 12 games, and then 3-6-5 and for the remainder of those since that Gold Cup break. So getting healthier for the LA Galaxy seems to have come at the cost of uh, some team chemistry and some real inconsistency. So execution has certainly been the problem. But yeah, uh, it, it's hit and miss with this team. And I know they're winless in seven. We're certainly looking over the last seven games, you can look at that and say it has not been a good stretch. But having said all that, I could see this team turning it back on and, and finding some of that form that they had at the beginning of the year, too. There's not too much explanation as to why we haven't seen that. So you touched on my next question right there. The Galaxy haven't had a win since August 14th. Both of our clubs have gone through an awful run of form recently, both from a fan optic standpoint and a tactics on the pitch standpoint, what do you think have been the deficiencies in the galaxy over this recent run? Yeah, I, I think I touched a little bit. It's, it certainly has something to do with team chemistry. Something's not clicking. Ball movement has been slow, you know, finding vertical runs and Greg Banny has been just beating the LA galaxy over the head with this as well is that there are times for vertical runs. There are times to find scenes in between defensive setups and the galaxy haven't been able to do that. Now, from my perspective, the Galaxy have a bit of an identity crisis. They want to play this beautiful tiki taco uh, uh, soccer where, you know, passing and possession is key to everything, except that they don't have the chemistry and they're not good enough to do that yet. And that, that's something that's coming, but it's not there yet. And they're actually a better counterattacking team. Their record whenever they score the first goal is like has 10 wins and, you know, a couple draws and a couple losses overall. I forget what it exactly is. But whenever you go in, whenever they allow the first goal, they have one win all season. It was the very first game of the season, by the way, as well. So it's not like they built into that and figured out a, a way to do it. They're so dependent on scoring the first goal, mostly because, their possession is really good at wasting time, but it's not so good at breaking down defenses. So if they allow the first goal, they can't sit there and try to break down a bunker defense. We saw it against Minnesota, that where they lost three to nothing. You saw it against Austin, where they lost two to nothing. In the Austin game, they actually played pretty well. But again, the breaking down and the bunkering defense is not something they are capable of doing currently. So uh, it's been my game plan for the, if you're playing against the LA Galaxy right now, is that you let them have the ball. As long as they don't score the first goal, you're in pretty good shape. As long as you can counter against them, which the Galaxy will cheat forward and allow teams to, to run back at them, you have a real chance at, at winning that game. And it's not hard. If you score the first goal, the Galaxy have a real problem sort of trying to come back right now. You know, right now, LAFC has some key injuries in some of their players. So looking at LAFC's current squad, what are some of the advantages that you feel the Galaxy have and what are some of the some of the concerns that you have? You know, it, it, it's funny because anytime we look at this game and we try to like tactically analyze this thing, I think we throw everything out the window. I don't think it has ever mattered. I don't know that I've looked at this game outside of maybe the first meeting where I thought that one team would absolutely beat the other team. And that's sort of held true, right? I mean... For the most part, it doesn't matter what, you know, I saw a meme somebody had that says with this game and both teams struggling and I certainly heard, but they said, you know, garbage versus trash and sort of how these two teams are coming together. And I, I fully understand what that looks like. But um, that being said, these games have always been wildly unpredictable. I don't know that it matters if Carlos Bella plays. I don't know if it matters if Chicharito plays. I've seen the LA Galaxy play LAFC and win a game when they didn't have a single designated player on the field. 
And I've seen all three designated players be on the field and seen them lost the game. So again, it, it, to, to me, like looking at this tactically, I mean, certainly the advantage for the LA Galaxy, I think, is playing at home. The fact that they don't haven't lost to LAFC at Dignity Health Sports Park always plays into that. Is that the biggest factor? I have no idea between these two teams. You know, Chris, trying to figure this game out is one that I sort of throw my hands up at the beginning of. And I go, listen, they're going to play. There's going to be a lot of goals, probably. Something unexpected is going to happen and the game will be over and there'll be a lot of noise. I don't know if that's expert analysis, what everybody sort of expects, but the Galaxy have some some good outside speed with Julian Araujo. Nico Hamalainen, who has, plays on the left back, who isn't as strong defensively, but is a good offensive threat on the outside. The Galaxy really rely on most of their offense coming from those outside wings. Having Chicharito in there, getting early crosses in is super important. You know, I think with the struggles for LAFC's defense, obviously struggles with LA Galaxy's defense, all these early crosses and early goals really do matter in this particular matchup. And so I would think that, you know, the only true advantage the Galaxy have right now is really looking at one that Carlos Fellow hasn't been playing. And if he does make it back for this game, you know, may not be 100%, may not be fully involved. I think that's an advantage for the Galaxy, who should, barring any injuries late, have Chicharito available. So he'll be up there and, and starting. So looking at all these things, I would say, yeah, there's probably some advantages for the LA Galaxy. I think most of that comes down to the fact they're playing at home. I mean, that's, that's probably the biggest one. So you touched on it right there. LAFC have yet to claim a win at Dignity Health Sports Park. What do you think has been the key to the home field advantage for the Galaxy throughout the course of this matchup, starting with a first game in which they overcame a 3-0 deficit at halftime and have been able to keep that run of form going up until now? So what is the key to the home field cooking? I will die on this hill. The difference between MLS teams most of the time is like 1% and 2%, right? And that's from... I even think maybe the most is 5%. We're between the best team in the league and the worst team in the league. The difference is sort of that 5%, what you do with that 5%. Between these two teams, it's usually like 1% or 2%. So the difference is they're playing at home and they have their own fans. I honestly don't think that there's anything tactically that they do differently at home. I don't, I mean, you know, looking at the first game, there's certainly no way you could have predicted that the Galaxy would come back and win that game. That was one of the craziest live sporting events I've ever seen in my entire life. And I've never heard a stadium make sounds either in uh, in LAFC scoring or the Galaxy scoring the way that still my favorite. I've never been to a game. I got so many text messages after that first game. I didn't even know people would watch soccer. Apparently everybody does. So, you know, saying that it's it's not much. The, the home cooking is, I mean, and especially the Galaxy have not been particularly solid at home this year. So it's not something that I think is, you know, I run a form where, oh, this is a... You know, they've they've built this into a fortress. They haven't. But whenever it comes to LAFC, for whatever reason, it's that one or two percent. And that one or two percent home fans, the the inability to sort of concede that they're going to lose a game at home against LAFC. It absolutely matters. That mindset matters. The fact that they it they they would hate losing way more than they like winning, and that sometimes can make the difference. I think that happens, you know, with LAFC at bank too, and that matters as well. It's that one or two percent. And I think the home team usually gets that one or two percent quick fire questions what do you call this derby and my next question is in your opinion do you think we're ever going to see the chicharito velo match i call it el trafico i have no problems with that i like its uniqueness i like Ah. that it's not i like that it's not a derby (laughs) hey you know what it's one of those things that i sit there and go that's fine it's different it has nothing else nothing else like it you call it a derby and i sit there and i roll my eyes i'm like that's not what we call that's not what we would call games here in the United States. It's a rivalry game. If you want to call it a rivalry game, that's good. But 
I sit there and say, it is what it is. I don't want to sit there and constantly come up with different names for it. And it's pretty much been decided. I think everybody who argues about it is sort of like just shouting into the wind at this point. Even if you don't like it, it's done. It's, no, it's I know. Of course. Of course. Right. right. It's just, but, you, but, you know, it's just interesting to hear what other people, I mean, I don't like the name, but you're right. At this point, it's a done deal and it's going to be called this probably forever. So. Yeah, I mean, in 90 years, it's still going to be called that. And everybody's going to go, why do they call it that? Well, because that's what stuck. It's like, I, I always liken it to this as well. You remember whenever they had that boat naming contest and they were like, oh, we're going to name this boat. What do you guys want to name it? And then so they sent it out to the internet and the winner was Bodie McBodie Face, right? And it was like, that's, that's sort of, but guess what? That's, that's what they named it, right? That's what it went with. And they renamed that boat and it wasn't Bodie McBodie Face, but everybody knows the name of that boat, Bodie McBodie Face. So it doesn't matter what you say to it after that. And this is where, where we're at. Groupthink is a dangerous thing sometimes. I, like I said, I like the uniqueness. There's nothing else like it in the world. And the world pays attention to this game. Los Angeles pays attention to this game. And so for that reason, I think having something that's super neat, like, you know, an LA Derby, everybody's like, okay, that's cool you know, whatever, you know, that type of thing. It's fun, but it's, it's generic, right? I don't want a Classico, please, no more Classicos. Let's not, because that's been done too. So it's like, what's unique? Well, it's unique. So I have no problems with El Trafico. So uh, for me, that's that. What was the other question? Do you ever think we're going to see the Vela Chicharito matchup that we have all been dying to see? No, no. And, and I think that you may see both of them on the field that comes up on Sunday, I think that Bella will probably make it back. I'll keep my fingers crossed that that happens because I'd like to see something, but I don't think it's going to be in the form that everybody wants. Everybody wants these two guys to play against each other at the top of their games, ready to go. Like both teams, hundred percent. That's the neutral perspective is give me that. And with Bella, I think decidedly perhaps on his way out after this year, this is the last chance really for that to happen unless the two teams meet in the playoffs. And again, a lot would have to happen in order for that to happen too. So, you know, for me, it was sort of uh, my favorite one was whenever Frank Lampard was going to play Steven Gerrard and they named it Lampard versus Gerrard and New York was coming to play the LA Galaxy and neither of those two were on the team when they were, they were both hurt during that. So they had all this build up, And this is what that feels like. It feels like this manufactured thing that they're trying to make happen if it'll happen, it'll happen. But I think we're running out of time for that to happen. So I think we're, 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 this is it. This is our last window. So if Bella comes on the field, maybe he starts and, you know, all of a sudden things start to heat up. Maybe we get that. But I think we're, we're grasping at straws, you know, at this point. Both might be available. Chicharito should be available. I should say that from the LA Galaxy side. From the Bella side, I, I don't know that he's going to be at that peak where you want him to be if this really was Bella versus Chicharito. This will be the third time that Vela comes back from injury for a game versus the Galaxy. And neither of the previous two times did he come back with the typical Vela-like prowess that we are used to seeing. So even if Vela starts this game and makes an appearance, history up until this point has painted a picture that we are not going to see a typical Carlos Vela-esque game. So that being said, what are you expecting from the match this weekend? Craziness. Something unexpected. I think I, I think I touched on that a little bit, but these are two teams that really dislike each other, and it's two fan bases that really dislike each other. And I think that that always brings just a a dread excitement. I mean, you know, you look forward to these games, you don't look forward to these games. The players look forward to these games. They say 100% they look forward to these games, but none of them want to really deal with the consequences of losing that game either. So there's a dread excitement. There's some nervousness. There's an energy. There's an energy that spills into these the, the two stadiums wherever they play that doesn't happen in any other game. And, you know, if you ever see a playoff game between these two again, you know, there's a different feeling even to that. 
So I would expect that as we have seen in the past, there will be goals. I would expect between these two defenses aren't the best, that there could be a lot of goals. That being said, you know, these games to me started a draw and, and would ha- something, something magical would have to happen in order for it to go either way. The way the Galaxy are playing, I can't say that you could put any sort of faith in, in what they have, but the fact they're playing against LAFC actually helps them more than hurts them. So yeah, I would expect it's going to be a high scoring game, another 3-3, 4-3 type of game if I'm going to be a betting man. You touched on it earlier about how these two clubs, there is this rivalry, they don't really like each other. And there has been a bit of these extracurricular activities off of the pitch between the two fan bases. Do you feel that this adds or detracts from the rivalry? Detracts. I don't like idiots running around, you know, banging their chests, beating people up, threatening people, stealing things, crushing things. That's all stupid to me. I have no time for it. I enjoy the intensity. I enjoy the words that get exchanged. I enjoy the atmosphere that that provides. I just don't enjoy any of the extracurricular activities that happen after that. So for me, that's needless, useless crap that, you know, could go somewhere else. Overall. I think the intensity of this rivalry is so much fun and how it plays out in the stands is so much fun as either a neutral or as an invested, you know, home fan for either side. This is a game that you should look forward to. This is a game that you should want to go to. And it's not a game, unfortunately, that you say, oh, well, it's probably time to leave the kids at home, you know, that type of thing either. And so I don't like that. I think that soccer should be enjoyed by all. I have no problems with off-color words and that types of things going on between the two. Again, words are words. That's fine overall. But yeah, it detracts for me. I know that some people think it adds. I just, I will never be on that side of the fence. So hopefully everybody keeps it safe and sane, you know, for, for the weekend. Uh, it's going to be an amazing weekend for, for Galaxy fans with them uh, in, inducting uh, Landon Donovan's statue into the Legends Plaza. That's huge. The fact they're inducting me into the Ring of Honor at halftime is huge as well. So, I mean, it's going to be quite a celebration, I think, for LA Galaxy fans. I would hope that that is sort of somewhat respected by both sets of fans whenever they enter into the stadium. But we'll see. That, that, that usually doesn't happen. I'm not one who thinks that that's, that's going to be... I'm, Everybody's going to hold hands and sing Kumbaya, and I don't think you want that either. But, you know, it is what it is at this point. Touching on the same issue real quick, we know that both front offices have agreed to a handshake deal that doubled the amount of tickets granted to either franchise. So we had 600 members of Galaxy supporters that were here for the last game at the bank. Bank of California reporting over $35,000 worth of damage to the stadium by those supporters. We know we have 600 LAFC supporters as a result that are going to be heading down to Dignity Health Sports Park. Do you think the decision on behalf of both teams to double the amount of fan support has been a success? Or is this something that you would like to see them go back to 300 for the next game? I have no problems with the 600 as as long as it's equal on both sides. You know, again, I think that most of the stuff ends up being equaling out on both ends. So I'd have no issues with with that. And be honest, think of the backlash that happens if you don't do that, right? And you're still going to have people, by the way, you're still going to have people who get tickets and you still have people who go in. So it's not like you're limiting the number of fans. You think you are, you're actually just pushing them into other sections and different places. And I know the ticket market for all the games is always very hot. So you can always find tickets. If you want to go, there's always a way for you to be able to usually go to these games. So yeah, I have no issues with it. I think it's a smart thing to do. If you're talking about sort of the crowd control stuff that goes on with that, you know, putting a bunch of people in one spot, is easier to control than a bunch of people spread out throughout the entire stadium. So for me, it makes sense. And like I said, eventually this game goes to SoFi and you know there's 35,000 people everybody can 35,000 people on each side of things and you can split the stadium down the center and you know you want to talk about what that's going to sound like it's going to be amazing so that's my ultimate goal for this game is that everybody gets to go the third one ends up being in a neutral side I like your Rose Bowl except that I did despise the Rose Bowl in terms of getting in and getting out of 
And so I'm, I, that, I always sit there and go, I, as a member of the press, I get to sit in the press box and write my stories while everybody tries to get out of the, uh, the stadium. So I probably shouldn't complain, but I still don't like going up there and don't like doing that. So yeah, the more the merrier as far as I'm concerned, as long as it's equal. Yeah, I, I love that idea, though, of, of having it at, at a neutral site, you know, at some point eventually. I think that that would be something great. And I, I, I don't think like it's happened in any other rivalry match throughout the MLS. It would be something that would be a, a, a creating a precedent and I think it would be a great idea yeah it's I, I would I would caution you if you agree with that you're gonna have a lot of people who will disagree with you because I say it all the time and people will call me all sorts of names for saying and I'm like why would you not do that and then they'll argue about the turf and I'll say listen the game will be fine whenever they bring grass in they can bring grass in for this game this is a big enough event that this should be sort of marketed and especially if it's going to keep being odds like this where you have three games and one team has two home games and as long as you make it consistent and we know the schedule is going to stay consistent then that evens itself out overall each person gets a home game and you get the the added revenue and people don't understand this but if you're talking about teams for LAFC or LA Galaxy the added revenue that would come from having 70,000 people be able to go see a game and the the team splitting the gate for that you know, is a could be a huge deal. Well, it's kind of hard to have any opinion about either of these two franchises without incurring a few detractors. So I applaud you for having the opinion and sticking to it. And thank you so much for joining us today. Once again, our opponent correspondent for the Galaxy this week has been Josh Gessman. You can follow him at Galaxy Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Corner of the Galaxy can be found on most of your podcast platforms and at www.cornerofthegalaxy.com. So this is normally where we would wish you best of luck in this upcoming match, but uh, I don't think either of our fan bases would support that. So thank you, sir, for joining us. It's been our pleasure to have you. Hopefully you can come back in the future the next time one of these, we maybe, maybe not call it Derby matches, comes up once again, sir. So thank you for being our guest this week. And again, to all of our listeners out there, if you want to go check out a respectable outlet for Galaxy information, we would recommend you head to Corner of the Galaxy it is always best. Uh, what do they say? Keep your friends close, keep your enemies closer, right? So always good to pick up some information from down the 110 freeway. And we thank you, sir, for joining us. Keep up the good work. Uh, a decade worth of putting out, gosh, nearly 900 episodes. Uh, that is a formidable amount of dedication to this league. And we applaud you for that, sir. And again, thank you for joining us. Thanks, guys. Certainly appreciate it. Anytime. Thanks, Josh. Awesome. All right, gentlemen, we have just heard from our opponent correspondent, Josh Gessman, joining us from Corner of the Galaxy. So let's go ahead and kick it around the room and see what everyone is thinking for this upcoming Derby match versus the hated ones. Mr. Frazier, we gave you first billing last time, so I'm going to shed some love to my co-host here. Yes, please. Chris, why don't you go ahead and kick us off? What are you expecting from this weekend's Derby down south? Well, you know, like I had just said at the end of that interview, I do feel confident about LAFC and their chances. Um, I think that we are due to have a victory in in uh, the Dignity Health Sports Park, especially after the way the Galaxy had just played their last four or five matches. They look like they are, you know, sputtering and they're not firing on all cylinders. And it's an opportunity for us to take advantage. When the Galaxy came to the bank back in August, you know, it was a 3-3 draw and it was electric atmosphere. There was no Chicharito. There was no Carlos Vela. And I think that, like Josh had said earlier, it, you never know what's going to happen in these matches. But I, I do. I still have faith. I still believe that this club is going to pull through and we are going to make a run into the playoffs. And it starts on Sunday. I think it's going to be a 3-2 win for LAFC. It's going to be a shootout. I feel like there hasn't been 
a conventional game. I think the minimum is three goals within a match, which is still pretty high for a football game. But I feel like usually it's four to six amongst the two teams. And I think this game is going to be five goals total. I think I'm going to, I'm going to go again with Chicho scoring two. And if Raito's healthy, I think he'll, he'll get on the score sheet. And if he's not healthy, I'm, I'm begging a Twessa to put one in, please. Mr. Frazier, bless us with your learned opinion and prediction of this upcoming match. Yes, the Galaxy are in a free fall right now. They are struggling. We hope to see Chicharito and Vela finally. We want This is what we've been waiting for, and it makes it something special. It elevates the game. It engages the fan base around the world if you have those two on the field. So it makes it a different game, and it makes it very, very personal and real. We just got to score. So it all comes down to who's going to be in that starting lineup. And until I know who's in that starting lineup, you can't say. Because it scares me to say, yes, we're going to come out, we're going to win, we're going to score three goals. That night that we scored four goals against Kansas City, I was like, the world is right again. I went home feeling so positive about myself. The next day I had a pep in my step. And then reality set in. And I was like, oh, my God. And maybe Kansas City was just adjusting to losing Buzio to Italy or something else, or it made me doubt. But until we know who hits that field for us, we don't know what's going to happen. And that's what I'm afraid of, because there is no game that means more than beat the Galaxy and we're happy. I mean, we're joyful. Beat the Galaxy and it means something in the city of LA. And being someone who you know, initially would go to Galaxy Games, was there when Beckham, the press conference, when Beckham came out, when Beckham first came to the Galaxy, you know, we were there that night, that day. I respect what they've done, but I believe that LAFC is LA's team. And to be LA's team, you got to put up now or shut up. And it's time for us to put up. But I can't tell you who's going to win until I see the lineup. I love it. I got nothing to add on top of that. I think this is everything for this season in one game. Yep. I don't think anything that either of these teams have done over the course of the last month, the last season matter going into this game. I think it's a different energy. It's a different vibe. And the outcome has been wholly unpredictable throughout the course of this rivalry. And I would expect nothing less this weekend. I do want to say to all the LAFC fans heading down to Dignity Health Sports Park, we would sincerely, sincerely appreciate it if you took sportsmanship and safety at the front of mind. Travel in groups, protect your hats and sweaters. Do not go to the restrooms by yourself. Make sure you stay in groups wherever you go. Do not get separated from your groups. And most assuredly, do not instigate anything or do anything that would reflect poorly upon LAFC. Just because a few weeks ago, we had their fans in our house and their behavior was reprehensible is absolutely no excuse to go and behave that way yourself. So please be smart, be loud, Sing, be proud, but be respectful and respect the sportsmanship of the rivalry before things get out of control and we get to a situation that nobody wants this to get to. And that's going to be my soapbox moment about the upcoming Carson game. You're right. That's 100% right. No place for that. There's no place for that kind of behavior. And watching people fight, my, my son, who is a, a District 9 Ultra, he was, you know, he was in there. He was in the 3252. And I'm what, you know, there's there's fights going on. I'm like, what do I have to go over and get him? So yeah, there's no no place. There's no, there's no place for that behavior at all. With that, we're gonna take another quick break and we'll be right back with the interview portion of this show. 
right after this. Hey, it's Kevin Frazier from Entertainment Tonight. And listen, I am an LAFC super fan. So I always make sure I download and listen to Shoulder to Shoulder podcasts. They keep me updated. But more importantly, I get to listen to these dudes' opinions about the team I love the most. Keep doing your thing, guys. Once again, folks, our guest this week is Kevin Frazier. He is, of course, the co-host of Entertainment Tonight. He has anchored SportsCenter, called NFL games, and featured in a multitude of NBA, NFL, and NHL outlets. He has starred of close to 100 different film and TV series. In addition to his work with Entertainment Tonight, he's the current star of The Drew Barrymore Show, co-founder of HipHollywood.com, a four-time Emmy Award winner. Welcome to the show, Kevin Frazier. Always great to be here, you guys. Thanks for having me. This is great. Anytime we can discuss the club, you know I love it. Well, this is an absolute honor for us. Uh, I have to say you are only the third Emmy Award winner to make an appearance on this show. So it is still something that is very near and dear to us. And of course, shouts to Jaime Camille and Sean Owasco, who most recently won his Emmy for his work in visual effects on the Star Trek series. So that's hats off to him. I believe he just took that award a couple weeks ago. So shouts to the homie Sean there. Didn't Max, didn't we, uh, the podcast get an Emmy too? The, oh, that's the, right. Did. Max is an Emmy award it winner did too win now. A pod- yeah, it did win right. a pod- So fourth. <laughs> oh, we're just muddy in the waters here. All right. <laughs> All right. So why don't we go ahead and uh, get down to brass tacks here. And, and why don't you tell us, Mr. Frazier, when does the beautiful game enter your life? We know you grew up in Maryland. Was there yeah. a lot of football action going on over there? So it's really funny. I lived in a place called Columbia, Maryland. It's right between Baltimore and Washington. Edward Norton's grandfather built the city. It was this planned community, perfect planned out on your streets. You kind of applied and they, it, and racially and economically, you know, on my street, I there were two black families. Families, two white families, a Jewish family. It was like this place of incredible, perfect harmony. We also, and my mom um, worked at the local high school, and that high school happened to be a powerhouse in soccer. They had a kid named Daryl G who ended up playing for the Cosmos. He was one of the best players in America. He and um, Kyle Rote Jr. were the two American, young Americans on the Cosmos. And we always loved soccer because in our town, it was a big deal. Now, my dad was a basketball coach and he coached uh, college and in the NBA. So basketball is in our blood, but we all just loved soccer. And when he was working for the New York Knicks, they had a piece of the Washington Diplomats. So we became huge Washington diplomats, Joe Horvath, Alan Green up front, two old English guys who couldn't outrun anybody, but they were just slick. And every week when the, um, the week that the Cosmos came to town with Pele and everybody, we just hated them. And uh, it was it was just a, it was a great education, the old NASL. So around this time, were there any big clubs that you supported on a European level or was your fandom solely locally based? My fandom was still U.S. based, but, you know, I just started getting into, if you remember at the time, ESPN, all they showed was Dutch soccer. So you could watch Ajax. And so I became this weirdo Ajax fan. And because that was what you got to see. And that was the high level um, football you got to see. Because normally, you know, now we're so used to everything everywhere. But on the East Coast, you don't have that influence. So it was kind of cool, but that was my first big like soccer crush, Ajax. Well, Ajax is big news this week with the potential signing of Ricardo Pepe, who the uh, 
the future of the American striker is now in Ajax's hands. Do you still follow the team? And what are you looking for Pepe to do while he's over there? You know, what's funny is I just got my Bob Marley Ajax jersey. It's here. I just got one. Um, the day they went up, I grabbed them and we are very good friends with the Marley family. And, you know, they are the three little birds that they sing afterwards and everything. So it's kept me in touch with Ajax, but now it's become this worldwide obsession in my house. I live with, my children have grown up addicted to Barcelona. Well, you know, we've gone to see Barcelona. Every time I travel and we travel a lot, whenever I'm in Europe, I must see a game. So whether it's in Germany, when I went to see Landon Donovan and he was playing against Hamburg. So I hopped on a train or whether it's in Spain or England and, you know, getting to go to the little places like the smaller stadiums like Crystal Palace or Fulham and those beautiful stadiums or, or the big ones, the, the cathedrals like Manchester United. Whenever I'm on the road, I work in somehow, some way to go see a game. So I, I, I tell everybody, we better get this shooting done in time for me to hop the train because I'm going to Crystal Palace or Chelsea or somewhere like that. So I got to ask you, right, because Ajax had to change up their third kits, the Bob Marley tributes, because they had to take off the three birds on the back collar. Yep. The the kit you got, did it have did it have the I'm birds? Gonna go look. I'm going to go look because I ordered it early and then they said it's not available and they said your order won't be fulfilled. But then the jersey showed up. So I'm going to go, go look at it before we're done. I'll, I'll go I'll go grab it. Because that, that, you know, that might be worth holding on to and preserving, you know, <laughs> because uh, it was a, it was a big deal, you know, having the three birds on the back neck and then for the FIFA to come out and say that they had to change the kit which was very bizarre. And I'm like, just leave it alone. It's something special and it's going to sell out worldwide. And everybody was hyped about the Jersey. And I literally, I, I made a call to the motherland, to the Marley motherland, like, Hey, y'all, can you give me one? They're like, you got to wait a minute. Cause it's going to take a second to get them. And Luckily, mine came. I ordered them from Europe and I got them. Well, this could be our first ever unboxing. It took us 104 episodes to get there. Cool. <laughs> I, you know, that's the most FIFA move ever. You have one of the greatest kits, most hyped kits to be released in as long as I can remember. Yeah. I mean, maybe since the bruised banana came back for Arsenal, mm. has mm. there been a kit that people have talked about this much? And of course, the first thing they do is, is flag it and take it off the market. That is, it is such a FIFA move. Why don't we go ahead and advance the conversation with you, sir? We know that you got your coaching career initially started before you transitioned into broadcasting yeah. as a basketball coach from Morgan State University. So why don't you go ahead and take us through that decision to transition from the coaching world to being the media personality, obviously a smart move in retrospect. My dad was a basketball coach. So my entire life was getting up or going to school and after school, going to basketball practice. And, you know, when they went on the road, going on the road. So it was an amazing kind of childhood for me because I grew up around college campuses. But when my dad finally quit, I was like, you know what, I'm going to pack up my stuff. I'm going to go on the road and I'm going to, I see there's a job in Charleston, South Carolina at this little station. So I'm going to go down and I'm going to do the real estate show. You know, that show where they say this beautiful four bedroom, three bathroom house is available for $289,000. So I go to this station in Charleston, South Carolina. The day I show up, the guy I'm supposed to meet with, he's not there. I run into the news director. I mean, literally we just bumped into each other and he says, Hey, I need a cameraman. Can you shoot? And I was like, of course I can. Yeah. Yeah, I can. I mean, I sucked, but I was like, yeah. And I said, yeah. I get, he's like, okay, I'm going to hire you. He hires me and I'm a cameraman. And I go out my first day with this reporter. Her name is Shelly Smith. She's now a publicist here in LA, but big time reporter. And I mean, I'm shooting craziness. 
and we come back to the newsroom to get this thing started and try to get our story together for the evening. And I see Shelly Smith in the corner of my eye talking to my boss like, why the hell did you hire this guy? Please fire him tonight. He is terrible. It's awful. This is ridiculous. And um, he came over to me. And he said, yeah, that was pretty bad. It sucked. I'm going to put you with a guy who is a former photographer, now a reporter. You work with him every day and we're going to make you get better. And I got better. And from there, I went from being a cameraman for three years to then being a um, uh, doing sports in Baltimore and then Cincinnati, from Cincinnati to Fox Sports here. Had a great run at Fox Sports, doing stuff at Fox Sports, then the ESPN. And when I worked at ESPN, I got this weird call one day. My agent says, hey, you want to do entertainment? And I was like, no. I was like, no, you should meet with the people from entertainment tonight. I was like, nah, I'm good. She's like, no, go while you're out at the All-Star Game, meet with them. I met with them. They made me see the light. <laughs> and I'm at entertainment tonight. And what's weird is that, you know, on a normal day at that time, and the news director said this to me, the lady who ran entertainment tonight, she said, how many people watched you on SportsCenter last night? I was like, we had a game. So there was about a million people watching us. It was a pretty good night. A lot, a lot of people watched SportsCenter. She was like, yeah, last night, 11 million people watched entertainment tonight. I was like, oh, okay. Oh. Uh, that's huge. That's huge. like, so, that's a huge difference. Huge More than 10X, yeah. Yeah, I'm sitting there thinking like Sports Center. It's Sports Center, you know? I know guys heard me do the highlights in it, but no. Because while all the guys in the world are watching Sports Center, their wives are watching ET and their sisters and their moms. And then you get roped into it too. And so it's just been a it's been an amazing run and it's been a great gig. It's actually when I got introduced to your face, what's watching Sports Center. So I was one of those one million people. <laughs> and you were probably one of the guys saying, What's wrong with him? Why would he leave? More guys, when I would walk through the airport or somewhere, I'd be somewhere and they'd stop me and they'd be like, hey, man, what happened? You okay? What you doing now? And I'd be like, uh, ask your wife. She'll tell you. She, no, I okay. saw you when one of my sisters was watching Entertainment Tonight. And I'm like, yo, he he is just as good, <laughs> if not better, at delivering this news or this this highlight. And well, I appreciate you know, that's it. not an easy thing to do to transition from a sport to more of a lifestyle of the yeah. rich and the famous. It's a very interesting dynamic. There's some things about dresses and shoes, and um, I can tell you that I had no idea about. And there are names that, like Bagley Mishka and uh, Marquesa that come out of my mouth so easy now. It's frightful, but yes, it's a, it's a transition. It's a transition. One well, of the things that was on your Wikipedia page was that you were one of the first people to host both Dan Patrick Studios on the East and West Coast. Yes. So when I worked at ESPN, <laughs> I... I was, I, my, my cubicle was right outside Dan's office. And um, I got to know Dan while I worked at Fox. And then when I came to ESPN, you know, it was great getting to hang out with him. Dan is a great dude. And I loved going on his show. And he was like, man, you should come and host our show while, you know, while Dan's on vacation, host the show. And I was like, oh, that'll be great. And so the first time I hosted on the East Coast, I get there. It's late at night, go to bed. I wake up, there's like four feet of snow. They had to come pick me up. We trudged in, we somehow got into the show. And um, it's just, if you love sports, it's like the Mecca because his little- his Oh, little I love studio. I love his show. Like oh. Dan Patrick with the Danettes and you oh. know the whole, the way they have it all set up. And I mean, I love, that is my favorite AM sports talk radio show. 
It is amazing. And so I love it. And I also I'm great friends with Jim Rome. So I've gotten to do his shows some too and then host his show. And then when when they came out here to the West Coast, I got to host it on the West Coast. So it was kind of cool. And the day, as a matter of fact, I hosted, I cleaned up the Danettes. I got them some clothes. I brought somebody in to redress them. And I was like, dude, y'all, y'all can't look like this when I'm in the house. We got to clean it up. I, I could only imagine what those conversations were like, you know, trying to get Fritzy to change into like a suit and stuff like that. Exactly. And, and Fritzy thought he looked sexy, though. He did think he looked sexy. I took him to a different <laughs> time. I'm you, I changed, I changed a few things for him at home. I guarantee you that. Doing the Lord's work. I, yeah. I have a quick question about someone yeah. that you worked with while at Entertainment Tonight. Now, I know at 2,500 episodes you've done for them, a few people might blur between the lines, but I have a feeling that this name might stick out. He used to be the head of marketing for Entertainment Tonight, and now he might float around the LAFC world a little bit. Uh, do you know who I'm talking about, sir? You're talking about Richard Roscoe. Uncle Rich. <laughs> um, it's so funny because, yeah, Rich was like deep in our world. And so when he came to LAFC, I was so happy because it was like seeing a long lost cousin. It just look, Rich is a great guy. He's a fun guy. You know, he's a beautiful man. So when he was in the entertainment sphere, you know, he was a beautiful man. He was walking around the streets and got a lot of love. But um, now he's in the sports world. And I just he kind of matched. I have a similar passion like he does for this club. I mean, like, I love this club. I love going to the games. I love going to the events. I love being there. My family goes. I have way too many tickets. I mean, it's crazy. I just, I just kept buying. I was like, I don't give a damn. I got to have, you know, some seats here, maybe some seats here. And then, you know, my son has his own in 3252. I just don't ever want to miss it. The vibe is something special. And so, you know, getting to share that uh, and hang out with Rich has been really special because I it's somebody I really, really genuinely like. I would hang with no matter what. So it's great that we can share this passion. So do you have one favorite sort of Rich moment or story, preferably one that embarrasses him that you could tell our listeners? I don't think I could. The really good ones I have, I'd get stabbed. I'd be cut out of the family. You know how like I wake up with a horse, in my, a horse head in my bed? That's what happened. Those are the great ones I have. I have all. Yeah. So, so, so that what means is we'll have to just turn the record off and then we'll. All right. Once the record comes off. <laughs> so in addition to your transition, you also have uh, created the website hiphollywood.com. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about why you founded this outlet and what your mission yeah. remains with Hip Hollywood? Sure. When I started it, what I saw was that there was a gap in the way that African-American entertainment was covered. You know, Entertainment Tonight is the number one entertainment show in the world. So you're going to get the Clooney's, the Pitts, the, you know, the biggest star, the J-Lo's, the biggest stars in the world. And that means that there's a lot of stars that aren't covered. And so that's why we started Hip Hollywood, really, to cover a lot of African-American stars. Like, you think of someone like Ava DuVernay. When she did her first movie, I Will Follow, we went to the set. We covered it. We interviewed her. It was her first job as a director. It was amazing. So many of these stars, as they've worked their way up, we've stopped and interviewed them. So I think it's important that you have all perspectives and all things covered. And so that's why we started Hip Hollywood. And to this day, we still we still have it. We still run it. It's still, um, it, it is um, my small little pride and joy. You touched on the subject right there of the people that you have had the opportunity to interview mm -hmm. throughout the course of your illustrious career, you have put microphones to names like Oprah Winfrey, mm -hmm. Brad Pitt, Beyonce, and you've killed it. So our question, and, and maybe from an educational standpoint for us here on this show is 
what are your keys to nailing an interview with a superstar as as if you were in the shoes that we are in now interviewing you, sir? <laughs> Listen, first of all, you guys do a great job. So uh, I, these are just my little things I, I try to do. But usually it's, you know, know something about this person that is outside of what you're going to do. So when I come in, we talk like, I'll never forget talking to Clive Owen, who was like, I walk in and I know he's a massive Premier League fan. So I walk in and before we even start, I drop a little soccer knowledge on him. And he's like, yo, and it changes the dynamic of our interview because now he's excited to talk to us. He's excited to talk to me and he wants to talk. And then he wants to stop and talk about soccer, football. But it's finding a common ground and a commonality and then just listening and talking, just listening and asking back those questions. You have the knowledge in your brain. So it's now it's just a conversation between two people. And, it, it you know, listen for those things that, you know, they say that, you know, you can capitalize on or jump on or, or really talk about. And that's what I try to do. I try to listen to folks come in prepared and then just listen. That's great advice. You mentioned Rich and knowing him pre-LAFC. Uh, mm -hmm. At one point that he reached out or did you find out about LAFC before Rich made you aware since you're a big football fan? So I knew about LAFC. I heard about LAFC and I went downtown while they were still build. you know, they, everything was housed in that little warehouse where you could go and see what the stadium would look like one day and all that stuff. And my son has been in school with Will's son since they were in kindergarten. Wow. Even preschool. And so I immediately checked with Will and I was like, Will, what's the deal? I see your picture. I saw the ground breaking. I saw your picture. What's going on? And he said, I think this is going to be something special. And you know, everybody says that. And I was like, Will, no, really, is this going to be? He's like, I think this is going to be something special. And that's what it is, man. Everything that everybody promised us, we've gotten that and more. We got promised all these things. And we were like, oh, it's going to be different. It's going to be LA's team. You're going to feel that vibe. Because when you go out to Carson, it doesn't feel like you're in LA. When you sit in that stadium, it doesn't feel like you're in L.A. And the first time you walk into the bank and you hear the roar of the 3252, you're like, oh, my God, this is Europe. This is special. This is what it's about. So, yeah, when I, I first heard about it back in the very, very beginning, when they were putting an ownership group together and everything, and I, I was excited, but I was still skeptical. So how does the awareness of your friend, Will, name drop? You, 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 so far, you've dropped Bob Marley and you've dropped Will Ferrell uh, <laughs> as your friend circle so far on the show here. So uh, uh, you're living up to the billing. When does this conversation with your friend, Will, become I'm buying season tickets to, oh, my gosh, this is what they delivered to I'm now a fanatic. How, how does that progression escalate in your life so it starts out with i'm hearing this i come down to the stadium i bring my wife down i'm like look we we should buy in let's go let's you know let's this is going to be great because they had that open that day where the stadium was open and then the first game my wife and i were both out of town because of work so we missed the first game so my kids go and they're like it's unbelievable and i'm like i'm glad you had fun and, you know, Simon scores that goal and the place is about to come down. My kids are like, it's unbelievable. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. I go to that second game. And in between, Will tells me, he's like, Kev, this is different. This is different. And I'm like, okay, okay. I come in the stadium and I'm just, the vibe is beyond anything I expected. And I was so hype and I was so excited. And after that, I was sold. I was like, I love the way the team plays. 
Carlos Vela. I knew he was going to be good. I didn't realize we were going to get the real Carlos Vela, the dude who was on like FIFA 16 or whatever that was, FIFA 17, who was on the cover of one of those. It's a vibe. And so now when I bring people and I bring people all the time, I get the, wah, 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 you're going to take me to a soccer game. And then I watch their face light up. And then I walk out with them as they're like, this is the single greatest sports experience. I gave up my Laker tickets just so I could get a gang of LAFC tickets because I bring people every single game. Every single game, someone has to come. Someone has to experience this. They have to see it and it will change their life. I 100% agree with you. I do. I often do the same thing too, where it's, I have, I have a good amount of seats and I'll always tell people, you know, Hey, come with me, come with me. And I usually tell people too, like, Hey, your first game's on me. You know, like I'll just give them two tickets. Hey, your first game's on me because I want I want them to experience it firsthand, you know, especially for people that have never come experience the bank. So it's it is it's such a it's such a, a an amazing feeling to see their expression and for them to just experience it because you're right. It is. It's unlike anything else that L.A. has to offer. You know, and I I used to like, you know, I had Lakers season tickets since the 90s and got to ride the whole Kobe era. And it was special. It was just, it was special. You never knew each night what was going to happen. And I think that's kind of the way I felt when I, the first time I I came to the bank, I was like, you don't know what's going to happen, but this team is playing like at a high, high level. We went down to Leon for that game down in Leon. And it was, I was like, okay, so I thought we were great. We're not that great. And then the night coming back here, the second leg of that, I I swear to you, I literally was in my seat trying not to cry when that third goal went in. I was just like, this is, you know, it's crazy. It gives me goosebumps now when I think about it. It was, and those are the kind of nights you live for. Those nights when something special happens, where you go in an arena and you have a shared experience with a bunch of people you don't know, you probably walk past on the street and you end up hugging each other and you end up walking out of the arena, high-fiving each other. And you end up just having this moment that is beautiful and special and it uplifts humanity. I, I mean, I know it sounds a little corny, but it, it, that's true. Those are some of those moments that make the bank and LAFC so special. You know, you, you wouldn't be able to change those experiences for anything. Never. You know, I have to say, you know, you you mentioned it very at the very beginning of this episode about how much this club means to you. I remember the first time that I actually got to meet you in person was at the LAFC Foundation Gala from 2019. Yeah. And you were the MC of that event. Can you touch on what your impression is of LAFC and how they participate in the community with the LAFC Foundation and the Breezy Academy and the YLP? That's, I know that you have been involved yeah. in those things. The Breezy Academy and what, first of all, this is, and when LAFC says shoulder to shoulder and, you know, we're all, we're all connected, all those things, the club actually does that. And that's the thing, whether it's the futsal courts or it's the money they're donating to Breezy Academy or all those things to help kids. Because, look, we have a bunch of soccer players, but we also have people who will one day be soccer fans. And that is what they're cultivating. But they're also held so important, man, because you got to care about the people outside of that stadium and what goes on. And so I love that LAFC cares about the community. And from, you know, hosting that, it was great. That was a great, it was a great night. It was an amazing night. I was so honored to be able to host it. It was kind of cool. They had the stage set up on the floor of the bank. Ziggy sang that night. It was just one of those nights where once again, you say, oh my God, 
look at my club and look at what my club is doing and look at what they're doing in the community. And so every time I drive past one of those fields or every time I drive past and I see something that they've done, it makes me proud that I support this club. It makes me proud that I spend my money with this club. And it makes me proud that I, you know, I'll wear those jerseys, you know, everywhere I go. So things that this club is doing in the community are second to none. And I appreciate it. And Rich is, has a huge hand in all of that. And that's one of the reasons why we are in lockstep because Richard Roscoe uh, is really has his pulse on the community. Along the same themes of LAFC charity, I have a hypothetical for you. One of my favorite pieces of work you were involved in was Game Changers, which really, you know, highlighted charitable works from professional athletes. For those of you who haven't seen it, there's great episodes out there on Clayton Kershaw and Kershaw's Challenge. There's a lot of football-related stuff with the Sounders and World Cup. But let's just say someone pitched to you the return of that show, and you were able to do an LAFC episode. Yep. If you could pick one story around the world of LAFC to focus on in that show, where would you go? Wow. Well, you know, I look at the players. You know, one thing that I was taken by and I loved was that when Latif was collecting shoes to take back to Ghana to give to folks, I love that. And, you know, looking at the pictures and seeing these kids playing on dirt pitches and they were like, these worn out cleats that you were about to throw away are like magic to these kids. And so I love that story, but I think that there are so many different arms of the community that are involved with LAFC. Geesh. Hmm. If I could bring game changers back, the first thing I would do would be about the 3252 and the just as a group, the different groups, what they do, like, like, for instance, whether it's the charitable, like who just one of the groups just they were gathering books, they had a run, they had, oh, I can't remember, but the different groups from the 3252 are so connected to the community. So that's how it goes. The tentacles reach out through them. So I think the first thing I want to do, if I could bring Game Changers back, oh boy, and I wish I could, would be to do a story about the 3252 and their community involvement, because there's this kind of belief that, you know, the people who support football teams, there's, there's some kind of hooliganism or there's, you know, there's this thought that they aren't a part of the community and the 3252 really is. It's almost as if Jonathan's a showrunner is pitching a show. <laughs> I mean, listen, I'm all for it. I have said that I will damn near work free to do something with LAFC. I would love to. I mean, that's how much I love the club. I, I think we all feel that way. I mean, we yeah. do this podcast, right? And, it, yeah. you know, there's no revenue gain from this. I know that just to talk about your your life experiences and what you've had and how and how you've been able to bring that to this club. It's just it's just an amazing thing. And, and the fact that you are looking to still continue to give back to this community. And it, it's that's that's part of the reason why LAFC means so much to so many people is because there's. There's people like that that just care so deeply about the success of this club and giving back to the communities and whether it's, you know, going and and doing charity events like you had talked about, the kickball tournaments for ATM or Global Diplomatic or whatever it is, right? Like all of these groups that get together. So it's, it's, it is, it's part of that community feel that, that just makes it feel different. You know, not far from that, not far from the bank is where my son plays soccer on 43rd Street. They had, they, he plays with a, a team called FASC and they are all there. It's all free. Nobody pays a penny. They play at a high level, but the guy who runs the program, and you may know him, Junior Almaraz is one of the D9U guys. And it just happened that my oldest son, would be up there with them. And they were like, we're going to embrace you into the group. 
So it's like this whole thing you see. And Junior was voted by LA84 as the volunteer of the year in 2019 because of what he's doing with this soccer program right down the street. And it's all part of building that, you know, cohesiveness that goes from in the bank and in the 3252 to out in the streets, these young guys who don't have kids playing on any of these teams, but they've formed six teams to play at a high level and they've scrapped together their money each and every week to get into tournaments or to pay for the field time and do all those kind of things. So it just speaks to the heart and soul of LAFC because those guys are diehards. And the fact that they, you know, my, my wife's like, our 12 year old smells like beer, but I was like, yeah, well, that's his thing. He wants to be up in there in the 3252. So he gets a little beer splashed on him. You have been very generous with your time this evening. Before we get to our final question, is there anything currently going on in your career that you would like to plug? Do you have any upcoming shows that are coming out or any cool projects you're working on? We are working on a site right now that has just been up. It's called Travel Coterie. And if you get a chance to check it out, just look at it. And it is about kind of telling the history or places that have been overlooked around the world as history has been told, but you can travel to and see because there are so many places that we may be in a city, we may be near something special, but you don't know about it because it's been buried by history. So that's been the biggest push now that and, you know, every night, entertainment tonight, y'all keep watching. (laughs) I would just like to point out that that current project you're working on would be your 99th credit on IMDb, <laughs> making shoulder-to-shoulder podcast your 100 outlet. So it's a bit of a celebration. Obviously, your prolific career is amazing. Absolutely outstanding work. Thank you for all you've done to support the LAFC community. And thank you for all you do to help bring entertainment to people's lives week in and week out at such a high level. And thank you guys, because you know what? Look, you came over and you said, hey, will you come on the podcast? Thank you for having me on the podcast, because I think you do a great job. It pops up on my iTunes. I listen because I listen incessantly to all things LAFC. So I've got a whole list of LAFC podcasts. So I really appreciate you guys having me on. You do a great job. Keep up the good work. Do not stop. Okay, even though it's going to be a rough season, even though we'll have some time off, don't stop. One thing that helps us get through and Las Buenas y Las Malas are those by our side, at our shoulder, which brings us to our final question, amigo, and that is Mr. Kevin Frazier. What does shoulder to shoulder mean to you, sir? I mean, it means every single day you go in and when you walk into the bank or you walk around and I see somebody in an LAFC jersey, I feel like I can walk up to them and they are a friend. They will be a friend. We can discuss commonality and we can enjoy it. So I feel like it's a family. So when you say shoulder to shoulder, I feel like anytime I see somebody in black and gold or whatever this color is we have now are, are off white, um, I feel like it's it's a friend. It's a compadre. It's, it's someone who, you know, we share a like-minded interest and and it, it is someone that I can sit down and break bread with or drop or drop down and have a beer with. Fantastic. All right, folks, that's going to go ahead and wrap us up for episode 104. We would like to thank our opponent correspondent for this week's episode, which was Josh Gessman of Corner of the Galaxy. And our sincerest thanks to Entertainment Tonight's star, Kevin Frazier and LAFC superfan for joining us for today's interview. So on behalf of myself, Jonathan, my co-hosts, Chris and Christian and sound engineer Wilton, wishing you all a lovely evening and hoping for a great result in the Derby this weekend. With that, take us home, Sticks. Shoulder to shoulder.
Together, this our culture. Feel the force of a supernova. Stay fly in that FC dorsum. Hey, shopping down to Nikki's, Korea Town Liddy. Cape us so mommy, about to drop her fit. They want me to stop, but I ain't. Come to my house, I'll defend that bank.